Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. What's up, everybody? My name is Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to say thank you so much for being with us. I hope you enjoyed that time of worship and connecting with God and that you're ready to get into God's Word because I sure am ready to share it. This week, we are continuing in our series called the Summer Series, and we're going to take a little bit of a concept from last week's message. Last week's talk was all about uh, the very first statement in our vision statement here at our church, and that is reaching people far from God and teaching them to follow Jesus step by step. And we talked about what does it look like for us to reach somebody. And really, if you think about the idea of reaching somebody, reaching somebody can be a little bit uncomfortable. And that's not something we like, right? In order to do it, we're going to have to step outside of our comfort zones. Imagine yourself in your kitchen and you're reaching for something way up high on a shelf. It'll take you stretching out completely, elongating your spine, standing up on your tippy toes to try to reach it. And if you still can't reach it, you got to climb up on a chair. And I don't know if you've ever tried that before, but the, the kitchen chairs are not always the most stable and we're not always the most stable. It's a very uncomfortable experience, or at least can be, as you climb onto this chair to try to reach something that is far outside of your reach. Point is, is that to reach people far from God, we're going to have to step out of our comfort zones. Now, that's not a very popular idea because as soon as we start talking about this, it's like, whoa, hold on. I like my comfy. I like everything that is comfortable around me. We are, in fact, specifically as a country here in America, we are comfort seekers. We love our comfort. We love our comfy chairs. We love our comfy shoes. We love our comfy t-shirts. You know, the soft ones that are like washed out and and like pre-worn. Those are awesome. We love our comfy couches. We love our comfy beds. We love comfy flights. Man, we want to fly comfortably in first class. We want to we want to drive comfortable vehicles. We love, love, love and seek comfort so much to the point that we are this far out here on this side of the pendulum for comfort that we are to a place where we loathe and push away from all things that are uncomfortable. In fact, if, if we are to step into things that are uncomfortable, we're willing to tolerate it for a time. But ultimately, what winds up happening on that journey into discomfort is that we will wind up inserting our big butts into the situation. It's easy to let our big butts get in the way of our discomfort. And culture, if we're being honest about it, gives us lots of reasons to let our butts get big. Now, the bigger your butt, you need to know the less that you can do. Now, if you're sitting here and you're offended right here in this moment, I want you to just hang tight because I'm not actually talking about your butt. I'm not talking about your derriere, your booty, your gluteus maximus, your posterior, your tail feather, your behind, your patootie. I'm not talking about your haunches or your hindquarters. I'm not talking about your two hours later mound of rebound or your tush. No. What I'm talking about is your spiritual butt, and we all have one. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. It's that spiritual butt that, God, I would love to, but, and we insert our spiritual butt here. God, I would love to serve at the feeding program, but it's really hot outside, but I'm uncomfortable with people I don't know. I'm uncomfortable in that part of the community, or 
I would love to, to go to growth track, but or I would love to start tithing, but I would love to join a watch party, but I would love to lead a grow group, but we all have big buts and our big buts get in the way of what God has for our lives. Today, we're gonna to talk about a famous guy from the Bible who many of you know. In fact, we've seen him uh, portrayed in lots of different movies. Charlton Heston played him in uh, the movie Ten Commandments, hey. and we've even celebrated and love. If you grew up in in my lifetime and in, in, uh, in the '90s, the movie The Prince of Egypt. Uh, we're going to talk about this guy because this guy he was called to do something great, but he had a lot of insecurities and he had a lot of buts that he used to distance himself from the discomfort of what God had called him to do. In other words, he had a lot of junk in his trunk when it came to excuses. Now, his story, of course, is found in the Old Testament, which, by the way, he wrote a whole lot of. And uh, that the Old Testament is near the beginning of the Bible. In fact, the first five books are what he's known to have written. And I'm talking about a guy named Moses. So today we're going to take a look at his story. And what you need, about, need to know about Moses is that his story started in a time uh, in Egypt when the Israelites lived in Egypt. So let me pause right there for just a second and go back a little bit and kind of bring you up to speed. That there was a guy named Abraham who God said, I'm going to bless the entire world through your family, through your bloodline, through your children, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, right? And that's where we get the group of people named the Israelites, okay? So Israel, or Jacob, had 12 sons, and these 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and during a time, there was a great famine in the land where the Israelites, or the 12 tribes of, of Israel, tw Israel and his 12 sons and their families, they all lived. And one of his sons, Joseph, had been sent to Egypt many years ago. Fantastic story there, but he had found favor and authority, and had, God had given him wisdom to save up food. Uh, and so when the famine hit, Egypt would have tons of food. And so so, so Joseph's family discovers that he's there, and they all move their family there, and they, they wind up settling in the land of Goshen, which is right there near Egypt, being blessed, and uh, they, they were farmers, and God blessed them there, and they grew and grew and grew and multiplied till there were millions of them. And so years later, the, the Pharaoh that knew them and blessed them on their way in was dead and gone, and this new Pharaoh is there, and he's recognizing there's so many people, there's so many Israelites, they feared that the Israelites, the Hebrews, would overrun the Egyptians, so they enslaved them. They made them their slaves to build the pyramids and to build and to work in the fields, and, and they enslaved this population of people, took away their rights, and oppressed them for hundreds and hundreds of years. For a long time, they cried out to God for a savior. And it was known that one was to come at some point in time. And it's at this time in history when the population continues to grow even though they are enslaved. And so Pharaoh issues a decree that all Hebrew boys were to be killed. And so this, this slaughter begins all throughout the Hebrew population. The boys are all killed. But this child, Moses, was born. And his mother, seeing that he was special, hid him. She kept it secret that she had a child until it was, she could no longer do that, till the men were pounding on her door and, and, and were at her neighbor's door. And so she took her kid, she put him in a basket, placed him in the Nile River and pushed him down the Nile River praying that, hey God, it's in your hands now. 
she sent her sister, his sister Miriam uh, to follow along uh, the Nile River to see where Moses would wind up. And as it ha- turns out, Moses lands in a place in the bulrushes nearby where the princess of Pharaoh himself comes down to bathe in the water and she sees the basket and hears the baby crying and discovers it's a Hebrew child and, he, and Moses finds favor with her. And so Miriam steps out of the bulrushes and, and the princess says, we need to find him a wet nurse. And Miriam says, I can find one for you. And so what does Miriam do? She goes and gets her mother. And so her mother, Moses' mom, raises him or weans him and cares for him for for several years until he's weaned and then he's able to go and live in the palace and that's where he's raised for 40 years of his life. Now I think that story so far is the definition of irony that the devil knew a deliverer was to come and he tried to kill the deliverer by having Pharaoh kill all of the Hebrew boys but God in the end made the enemy pay for Moses's tuition. And Moses was raised in the palace and educated in comfort. And the palace provided for him a lot of opportunity, and it provided him insulation from the discomfort of the people that he was called to reach. And we understand that. I think that we have this thing called, that we'll call a Christian bubble, that we hang out in on a regular basis that insulates us from the pain of the regular people in the world. We have our Christian friends, and we talk about our Christian scriptures, and we talk about our little, our little devotion, and we share, and we, we, we hang out on Christian websites, and we have Christian schools, and we have Christian things, and our Christian people, and we surround ourselves with everything Christian, and we live in this insulated bubble. And everybody outside of that bubble, outside of those spaces where we are happy being our little Christian selves, we find lost people live there. This is why I love our feeding program and serving down at the Dream Center because, man, you get out of your little Christian bubble and what happens is when you step outside of that bubble, you begin to see that there are people that are in pain. You begin to see that there are people who are hurting, that are lost, that need Jesus. In fact, I love reading the story of Jesus because you'll see as, as Jesus' story is told that Jesus saw, the scripture says he saw something And whatever it was that he saw, because he stepped out of the Christian bubble, he stepped out of the safety of the tabernacle, and he went and sat and hung out with sinners and and prostitutes and tax collectors. When Jesus got out among the people, out of the comfort zone, he saw something. The Bible says over and over again that what he saw moved him with compassion, and he acted. And it'll motivate you, too, if you'll be willing to step outside of your comfort zone and step into discomfort. Moses saw this pain too. In fact, Moses, uh, one day, he's 40 years old. He knows that he's called to be the deliverer of the people. And he steps onto the scene. He's walking through the crowd and he sees that one of his Hebrew brothers is being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses tries to stop it from happening and in the process kills the Egyptian. Well, He thinks that nobody saw him and he winds up burying the Egyptian in the sand. He went from having no conflict in his life to being a murderer. But Moses didn't know that Gil Grissom and the CSI crew were on the case and everybody by the very next day knew because the Bible says that the next morning he went out and there were some two Hebrew guys who were arguing. And Moses tries to step in between them and says, hey guys, we're brothers. We ought not be fighting. Chill, yo. And what they responded was, are you going to kill us too? Who made you our leader? 
Who put you over over us and made you our ruler? Are you gonna kill us if we don't stop fighting? Moses realizes that the jig is up, that everybody, even his own people, knows that he's a murderer and he knows it's a matter of time before he's called for, to account for it. And so Moses does what he thinks he needs to do and he runs. And he gives up his calling. He gives up, gives up the fact that he's supposed to be the deliverer for these people. And he runs to a, a, an isolated area where he's isolated from God's calling on his life, from his very own people, from the, everybody that he loved. And he lives in a wilderness for 40 years. Moses winds up finding, uh, finding a wife, having kids, developing community, getting a job, and living the comfortable life, the day in, day out, kind of no challenges, no real, no real call to step into anything uncomfortable. And then one day everything changes because Moses sees a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning. And of course, God would use this to get Moses' attention because I think all guys somewhere in their hearts are pyromaniacs, right? We love to see things burn. And Moses, uh, it, it, it gets his attention. In fact, Exodus uh, chapter three, verse four through five says, and when the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush. So God starts speaking to him from the bush, right? This bush that is on fire but isn't burning. And it says, says to him, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. He's sending him into discomfort, by the way. He's sending him back to his people. He said, you will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God is calling Moses to return to discomfort. He's calling him to return as a murderer. He's calling him to return to the people that he had abandoned and to leave the comforts of his home, his routine, and go into the unknown, into the unknown, into the unknown. He's calling him to step into discomfort. Can you imagine the conversation he had to have with his wife after that? Hey, uh, honey, I was, uh, I was out, out in the wilderness today taking care of the sheep, and there was this bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn. I mean, like, it was burning, but it wasn't, like, burnt up, if you know what I mean. And uh, all of a sudden, it started talking to me, and it was God. He told me to take my shoes off. It was this whole thing. And then he told me I needed to go back. You know that place where I told you that I murdered that guy and where my people are from? Uh, he told me to go back there, and uh, he said that I'm, I'm going to be their deliverer. I, I probably told you about that, like, it some point in time, I knew God had called me to do that, but I, I came out here because of what I had done and been, been living here with you and, and living a great life. But, but the bush, the bush told me to go back. Can you imagine that conversation? Because I think if, 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 if somebody came to me and told me that, I'd want to know, did the tree start talking to you before it was on fire or after it was on fire? Like, did you inhale some of its smoke some of that wacky tobacco, like what in the world is going on that this tree is talking to you? Because I know that we read this story like it's just normalized for us as Christians. We've accepted it as truth, and it is, but that's not normal. In fact, we don't put people who are talking about burning bushes that aren't burning that are talking to them into leadership roles. We take them and we put them in padded rooms so that they're safe from themselves and from others. We don't put them into leadership. It's just nuts. And Moses, of course, realizes how crazy this is, gets tripped up by his butt when God says to him, now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Watch this. But who am I? But who am I 
to appear before Pharaoh. Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? And so this is the very first thing Moses pushes back. But he says, but who am I? He's saying to God, I'm not valuable. He's saying to God, don't you know what I've done? That my life has been stained and marked by my mistakes. That my life has ended up here. I'm 80 years old. 40 years in this isolation, in this wilderness. I've ended here now because of those mistakes, because of those choices. But who am I, he asked. He tells God, you've got the wrong guy. I lost my value a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away because of what I've done. But who am I? And we've, we're right there with him. When God calls us to do things, instead of looking at it through God's lens and how God sees us, all we do is we focus on our mistakes. We say, but God, I've made mistakes. Who am I? Yet God desires to use us to make a difference. Instead of focusing on our purpose, we focus and remember our mistakes. We look at our potential through the portal of our past. We say that there are too many negatives. There's, 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 too, many, there's too many minuses in my column. Not enough addition, not enough multiplication. There's, there's no, nothing positive left in my life because I've lied too much. I've hurt everybody around me. Or because of the cycle of addiction that is in my family that started with my grandfather, was in my father, and is certainly in me, that I've sought the bottom of the bottle or sought a needle or sought a high instead of seeking you, instead of seeking reconciliation, instead of seeking anything good, I've been caught in this broken cycle. I have failed relationships. I have bad thoughts. I have deep, deep depression. I have suicidal thoughts. I have brokenness within, but who am I? Some of you ask that question based on not what you did, but what somebody did to you. Maybe you've suffered through a moment of abuse or a season of abuse or even a lifetime of abuse. You say, who am I? You've dealt with abandonment. Everybody you loved have loved you or the primary relationships that should have loved you, that should have been there for you, abandoned you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe you've gone through some sort of trauma, whether it's physical assault or a sexual assault. You've diminished the value of yourself and you ask God when he says, I have something for you to do, a calling and a purpose for you to live out. You ask the question, who am I? In your mind, those things would, could, or maybe even should lower your value. But God, God tells him in Exodus 3, verse 12, I'll be with you. He says, go, I'm gonna be with you. And so the, the, the response that we need to have, the, the thing that we need to know is God is with me. Everybody, right where you're at, say, God is with me. Type it in the comments below. God is with me. It's a simple but heavy promise that God makes. When we feel like we have no value, remember that God is with us, that he's choosing to be with you. He's the God of the universe. He doesn't have to choose you. He doesn't physically or for any reason have a need for you. He wants you. He chooses you. He values you. In fact, he loves you and this world so much that he gave his only son. He sent Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on a cross, to pay a penalty for you and I that we could not pay. There's no way we could pay it. And Jesus paid it with his life. God sent his son to die in our place. He loves you that much. I wouldn't do that. 
Not on your best day. I might give my life. I might step in front of a bullet for you, but I would never place my child in front of a bullet for you. I would never ask my child to lay down their life for you. That's not gonna happen. But God values you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. And he is with you. He did that because he wants to be with you. And not just with you, but in you. Man, listen, you need to understand this and you need to start saying this to yourself. Undesirable real estate. God wants to dwell inside of you. He wants to move in. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Man, God doesn't just wanna be with you. He wants to dwell in you. Why is it important that this verse uses the word temple? Well, because in the Old Testament, when God's spirit dwelt in temples, you need to know that temples were built with the choice timber, with choice stones, and then it was decorated and adorned with, and everything that was inside of it was made out of gold, was made out of bronze, was made out of silver, and was made out of gems. Like, you are God's temple, and he is building you up into something valuable. He finds value in you. You say, but I'm not valuable. Yes, you are. God is with you, man. Moses pushes back again. Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. But Moses protests again. This is verse, uh, chapter four, verse one. Look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord never appeared to you. What Moses is really saying here is, but I'm not accepted. I'm not accepted. I'm, I may be valuable. All right, Aaron, I'm valuable, but people don't like me. They're not gonna follow me. Because where does this, all this come from for Moses? I believe it came from one moment, one moment where he encountered people. The day after he killed the Egyptian, he steps in to break up that fight between his two Hebrew brothers, and they turn to him and say, what are you gonna do, kill us too? You're not our leader. Who put you in charge? From that moment on, it defined him. And it was a voice that played over and over in his head through the 40 years that he wound up in isolation in the wilderness, away from his calling, away from his purpose, and away from his people. That when God called him to make a difference, it's playing still even louder than a voice that is speaking to him out of a burning bush for crying out loud. And he says to him, I can't. They're not gonna follow me. I'm, I'm not, but I'm not accepted. We understand this. Week after week, I sit here on this, and, and I tell you that God has a plan and purpose for you. I tell you that God wants to redeem your life and use all of it for his plan and for his purpose and for your good. And week after week, there's a voice that starts playing in your head. You've heard it too many times, and you use it to disqualify yourself. You insert your big butt in there and say, but I'm not accepted because somebody along the way told you that, that you're not gonna be accepted, that they won't like you, that they don't believe you, that they won't follow you, that they won't hear you. And it's the voice of they that keeps playing in your head louder than the voice of God that is speaking to you right now through me. I'm telling you, they may be right, those they voices, but God, God said, tell them the Lord has sent me to you. That's in verse 15. Man, you can settle those voices and that pain in your life with this statement. God has sent me. <laughs> God has sent me and God is sending you. Listen, I, I don't know if you understand this or not, but this is about authority at this point. Like they may not listen to you, but God is placing his authority on you because he's sending you. When I was a kid, I, I like to play video games, man, and I would play video games all day long if you'd let me. And my brothers would come in and tell me, hey, 
time to clean up. It's time for dinner in a few minutes. And I wouldn't move. I would sit there and play my video games. Come back. Hey, you're supposed to be cleaning up right now. It's time to, it's almost time for dinner. Nothing. Playing video games, just pounding away on that stuff, man. And then finally, somebody would come back and they had authority. They didn't have authority before. Mom and dad may have sent them to say, go tell Aaron to clean up and get ready for dinner. But they didn't say it before. When they came in, they said, mom said, it's time to clean up and get ready for dinner. There was authority in that. And that's the time that I would move, especially I would move quickly when they said dad said it. Because man, dad, dad was the authority figure in our house. And I knew mom, mom meant it, but dad really meant it. And dad was going to come in with some force if I didn't get up. So, so I moved. But, but you don't walk in your own authority. You need to remember, God has put his hand on you and he has sent you in his time and in this time, really, for his purposes. Check out this verse from Acts 17, 26. From one man, he's talking, this is about God, from one man, he made every nation of men, right? So from Adam, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. In other words, you're not here by mistake in this particular time, in this particular season, in the middle of a pandemic, in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, or wherever you're at in the world, at whatever time you're watching this video, none of that is by mistake. God put you here for a reason. Your purpose was planned before you were born. In fact, he had a plan for you and he made you specifically in your mother's womb so that you would fit the plan that he had for you. Psalm 139, check it out. Before all your day, before you were born, all your days were planned for you. God wired you and made you for the purpose he had in mind for your life. And what he sent you to do, you can live out with boldness because he sent you. Say, but I'm not accepted. Yes, you are because God has sent you. Moses isn't having it though. He's got another excuse. Inserts another but. He says, but, in verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord Oh Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been, and I'm not now, even after you've spoken to me. I'm clumsy with words. What Moses is saying here is, but I'm not talented. Even if they accept me, even, even though you value me, even though I know you're sending me, I, I'm not talented enough to go do what you've got for me to do. And we've allowed this, this one in particular, to isolate us. We've allowed this but to keep us wandering in the wilderness, away from our purpose and away from who we're supposed to reach. And what happens while we're busy wandering in the wilderness, being isolated from God's plan and purpose for our life, we forget who we are. We forget what God's already done in our lives. Because see, the Bible tells us that Moses had been prepared previously for what God was calling him to do, and he had forgotten his training because Acts 7 verse 22 says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Educated in all the wisdom. Wonder if they taught him how to walk like an Egyptian. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, but, but check out the next part of that. He was powerful in speech and action. And if you go to Acts 7, you read this, it's telling the story of Moses. This is at the point that he's 40 years old and he hasn't killed the, the Egyptian yet. That means that he was educated and he was a great orator. The guy knew how to talk. He was educated, man. He was exceptionally gifted in speech before he left Egypt. Yet he claimed in this moment, 40 years later, that he wasn't a good speaker. How did that happen? The voices in his head, once again, as he's isolated, just repeating the voices of they, that in his isolation and in our Christian bubbles, behind our butts, 
in comfort, we forget our training. We forget the experiences that we've had. And at best, we minimize it so we can hang out on our comfort by sitting on our butt. But I'm not talented. I did the same thing. You know, when God called me to plant this church, I did those, I did all these butts. But, but God, listen, 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 Linda. You don't know. I, I, you don't know what I've done. But what about the mistakes? I was addicted to pornography. I, I've got a divorce in my past. I've got bankruptcy. But, but this, but that, but, but, but God, what about the mistakes? I'm, I'm not valuable. And God set that aside and said, I'm with you. And then I said, but God, nobody's gonna, who's gonna follow me? He said, I'm sending you. But this is the one where I hung out. And I was like, and I even actually tried to be obedient to God and take a role in ministry that almost guaranteed that I wouldn't have to preach on a Sunday morning because I was gonna be a campus church for another church. I was gonna say, I said, so all I have to do is show up and love people and then push play and some other preacher will preach. And I put this one back on God. I said, I've never preached. I don't even know if I can do that. I, I'm, I can't speak. But God reminded me <laughs> that the 18 years prior to me stepping into a role as a pastor since I was 16 years old, that I've been an entertainer and I have 18 years of public speaking and performing that I was indeed ready, but that I had spent so long walking away from it that I'd forgotten. And God told me what he told Moses. In verse 12, he said, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. So we need to remember that when we feel like I'm not talented enough, that God will teach me. God will teach me. You say, I am not talented enough and I don't have what it takes. That's right. But God will teach me. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know that? That once you are saved, the Holy Spirit fills you. He dwells inside of you. This is what God wants. Takes up residence right here. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has is to teach us all things. In moments we don't know what to do, in moments we don't know how to do it, the Holy Spirit is, comes alongside us to teach us how to do it. In fact, John 14, 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So look, the Holy Spirit is always there and always available to teach you whatever it is you lack. Whatever God has sent you to do that you don't know how to do, God will teach you. God gives wisdom to anyone who asks for it. So there's no excuses. Just ask him to teach you. Like, man, in the middle of this coronavirus and the pandemic that we've been facing, in the middle of racial unrest, and heck, let's just call it 2020, okay? It has been a mess this year, leading church through transition. I'm out of my league, and I've said to God on multiple occasions this year, I'm not talented enough, and that is correct. I'm not. But with God, he'll teach me everything I need to know. When I was struggling with pornography long before, when I first gave my life to Christ, I said, God, I know that this isn't something that honors you. I know that this isn't right and I need to break its cycle in my life, but I don't know where the resources are. I don't know how to do it. I need your help. And the Holy Spirit began speaking to me and, and, and he began building me and teaching me, okay, you need to cut that. We need to get rid of this. You need accountability here. And I began implementing and doing those things in my life until the cycle of addiction was broken in my life. And it wasn't until years later that I began discovering there were resources that I just didn't know where to look. And I start reading them and they're everything the Holy Spirit taught me to do everything. I pray for wisdom and guidance and understanding all the time. Before I read my Bible, I ask God, teach me from this. I need you to teach me, Holy Spirit. It's okay to have shortcomings and weaknesses and to not know things in your life. 
In fact, Paul the, Paul the Apostle, guy who wrote most of the New Testament, got excited about this kind of stuff. He got excited about his shortcomings. He said, when I'm weak, that's when God's power is on display because he gives me what I need. He teaches me everything. So Paul says, I'm gonna boast about my weakness. I'm gonna say, hey, look at me, I'm a weakling because God gets the glory for what happens through you. Ephesians 3.20, he said, glory belongs to God whose power is at work in us. By, his, by this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Man, that's so good. That power, it dwells in us and teaches us all things. See, I'm not talented enough, but God will teach me. Moses has got one more pushback. And this is the big one. Exodus 4.13, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. What Moses is saying in this moment is, but I'm not comparable. Moses was comparing himself and his life to other people around him. He, it's the equivalent of you looking on social media and eliminating yourself because you're not Stephen Furtick, you're not Steve Jobs, you're not Oprah Winfrey, you're not Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. There's better looking, there's skinnier, there's smarter, there's more eloquent. I can't compare with them, you say. But the comparison game is just a trap. You're not supposed to compare with them. God made you. There's only one you. And God made you this way, and he's choosing to send the incomparable you. Nobody compares to you. Nobody can be who you are. You're supposed to be original. You're supposed to have an original voice. God wants to use you just as you are. Yet we keep asking, why me? Send someone else. I'm just not that guy. There's this great parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And, and the story goes that there was a businessman who had some, some talent, or these were bags of money, that he left with three of his associates and servants. And to one he gave five talents, and to one he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. So these, these three guys are all at work investing it and, and working that money, and they're told to manage it while he's away on a trip. And upon his return, he asked what they did with it. And the guy who had five had invested it and made 10. The guy who had four or two had turned it into four. And the guy who had one had taken it and hid it, buried it in the ground because he was afraid. But note this, that when the, the businessman came back, he didn't compare what the five did and what the four did or what the two did and what the one did. He didn't say, well, you had two. How come you didn't make it 10 like the five did? He, he didn't do that. He asked, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? He didn't compare. That's not the game he played. And you need to understand this, that five talent people are rare. There are some people that just have all the talents. We've got one, our creative director, Derek. He's got more talent in his, in his little pinky nail than I've got in my whole body. The dude is just talented, but not all of us are five when it comes to talents. The majority of us are two and some of us are ones, and that's okay. It's not about how much you have. It's not about a comparison to what they've done and how much they have. It's what did you do with what God gave you? I mean, it's important that we celebrate that we've got the five talent people in our churches. It's really, really important. We're thankful that they're following Jesus, but you don't worry about them. Don't focus on them. You focus on Jesus, and you get to, to managing the two talents or the one talent that God gave you because you're gonna have to answer for it. What did you do with what he gave you? Did you hold on to it for comfort like the, one, like, like the guy with the one talent did? He, he, was, he, said, he said the reason that he buried it and hid it was because he was scared of pain. He was scared that if he invested it and lost it, 
that he would be in trouble. And so he kept it. Here, here, it's fine. It's covered in dirt, but it's 100% there. I did nothing with it. And the one who did nothing with it is the one who had everything taken from him in that situation. He, the guy was trying to lean into comfort, didn't want to risk it, not like those guys. And Moses, just like them, he's trying to shrug off this call to step into discomfort with his but, 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 but. Watch how God responds in verses 14. It says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. Look, God is trying to connect him with somebody who will compliment Moses' weakness. He said, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and teach, what, uh, teach you what to do. So God brings Aaron alongside Moses to fill in the gaps in Moses' calling, which is what God does for all of us. He put us all in a body because we're not all meant to do everything all on our own. In fact, as a pastor, I couldn't lead this church without a lot of people coming alongside of me that understand and, and, and are strong in ways that I am not in this life, that have skills that I do not have. There's, there's no way we could do what we do on a rate. We couldn't even do this video production if we didn't have all the people that were involved to make it happen week after week. God put us in a body. He connects us with other people because we weren't meant to do this thing alone. Whatever he's called us to, Moses wasn't meant to do it alone and you, neither are you. Relationships are not about competition and comparing. They're about complementing each other's weaknesses so that we go further faster. And the response to the I'm not comparable is that God will connect me. I'm not comparable. No one is. But God will connect you with who you need in order to live out his plans and purposes in your life. Listen, if you're going to let a but get too big in your life, don't let it fall on the wrong side of the sentence. What I mean by that is that it's interesting. Watch, if we take the but that we put at the beginning of the sentence and we move it a little further down, it changes the meaning. The sentence that, but I'm not valuable, changes to I'm not valuable, but, see we move it, God is with me. But I'm not accepted turns into I'm not accepted, but God has sent me. But I'm not talented turns into I'm not talented, but God will teach me. But I'm not comparable turns into I'm not comparable, but God will connect me. Listen to me. God wants to use your life to make a difference in the lives of others. There are people he has designed you to reach regardless of the junk in your trunk. God is with you. He is sending you. He will teach you and he will connect you. It's time to overcome that big butt. Amen, everybody. Let's pray. Father, I just want to pray right now and speak to the pain and to the levels of rejection and the thoughts and the excuses and all the big butts that we hold uh, in our lives that, that try to keep us in a place of comfort, that try to keep us from stepping into uh, the, the space where we live out our, your plan and your purpose for our life, that place that is uncomfortable, Lord. Help us to step out of rejecting your purpose and accept this message for ourselves, that it is for us, that you are speaking to us, even in the midst of 2020, this crazy year and all that it has brought, that you, God, have a purpose for us and we have to overcome our butts in order to step into that purpose. God, help us to do that. Let us know that we are valuable, that you are with us, God, that 
that man, even though we don't feel like people will accept us, God, that you have sent us. Lord, and that, that even though we're not talented enough, God, you're gonna teach us everything we need. That if we'll just respond with a yes, you'll respond with what we need. And that God, that, that though we're not comparable, that God, you are gonna connect us with the people that we need in our lives to accomplish what you're sending us to do. Now, right now, I just wanna look in this camera and speak to those of you that are in this space and in this place right now. Maybe, maybe you'd identify yourself as somebody that is far from God, somebody that we're talking about, like, hey, stepping out of our comfort zone to be able to reach people like you, people that, that you know, you'd say, I, I'm too far. You've got some butts in your life, but, I, but I'm too far. But, but I've done too much, but I haven't cleaned up my life yet. But you don't know about this part of my story. Listen to me. God knows your story. God knows what you've done. God knows how far away you've walked from him. God knows that some of you used to walk with him and he's not mad at you. God loves you. In fact, he sent me here today to tell you about his son, Jesus. He sent me here today to tell you that he's ready to give you a redo, a do-over so that you can begin a life with him. He's not concerned with your past. He wants you. He values you. And he has plans for your life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to make you his child. He wants to give you eternity. But he also wants you to enjoy him through a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. God has so much for you. He's not mad at you. You've been sold a lie. You've, been, you've told yourself the story over and over again that you don't belong and you do belong. For those of you right now, you're ready to make a decision. You're ready. You're like, Aaron, okay, faith is rising in my heart. I feel something knocking on the door of my heart. I'm ready to respond. I want to open my life to whatever God has for me. Well, let me tell you, that begins, and the way that we connect with God is through a relationship with Jesus, where we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to trust you with my life. I want you to be Lord. It means we're going to do whatever he tells us to. We're going to, we're going to commit to getting in his word. We're going to commit to, to, to allowing him to transform our lives. If you're ready for that, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And, and for those of you that are in our online campus right now, there's a, in the chat box, there's a banner that's coming up saying, I'm raising my hand, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And, and if you'll click that box, it'll take you on to another one that'll, that'll open up a, a connect card and give you an opportunity for us to connect with you. But man, click that box today. Say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. If you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, man, leave a comment below saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm placing my trust in him. If you're ready to do that, let's pray this prayer together. And remember that it's not the words that, that make it right. It's your heart that believes. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now remember, if you made that commitment today, make sure you click that banner in the chat box. All of the people that are here with us right now are celebrating with you. In fact, if you're in our online campus, you'll probably see a few of them tossing emojis and shouting woohoo and stuff. We really are celebrating your decision today and we wanna walk that with you no matter what that looks like. So if you click that button and fill out the connect card, that gives us an opportunity to. Whether you're here in our community or not, we'd love to get you connected to a spiritual community because you need that. You're welcome to hang out here with us as long as you'd like. We'd love having you. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to help you understand your next steps. And we'd love to walk out this, this spiritual life with you. Amen, everybody. So make sure you click that button, click the connect card and, uh, and give us the opportunity to do that. 
All right, well, as we wrap up our service today, I just want to share, this is an opportunity for you to give of your tithes and your offerings. Thank you for being so faithful during these uncertain times. We love you guys. We're so thankful for what God is doing here at Simple Church and doing here through us and, uh, and doing in your life as a result. Thank you for your faithfulness to what God uh, wants to do in you few things just want to remind you about, and these are banners and things that are being posted in the comment section right now, but we are still doing our feeding program through the end of the summer, so there's a few more weeks of that. Uh, we still have places for people to serve, so you can join us. It's from 5, uh, 5.15 to 6 p.m. Uh, we serve food to, to kids uh, ages 0 to 18 in a targeted area of of our community. We'd love to have you come out and serve with us. It has been such a joy. Last night we gave away uh, 40 meals and we've just continued to, I believe at this point, we've given 321 meals in total away. We've had, and it's been a great time for us to connect with our people in the church and for them to connect with their purpose in their life. We've had 70 volunteers who have served over the last couple weeks. And uh, man, you guys are just blowing my mind with your generosity of your time and your servant hearts. And so well done everybody. And then uh, so there's a link being posted in the comment section for you to, to uh, sign up and serve alongside of us. If you're on YouTube and, and, uh, and Facebook, you, you, of course, can just go to uh, our website and you can find those links there uh, or on our Simple Church app. Uh, and then watch parties, man. Watch parties are a thing now. Very excited about these. Uh, we had our very first one at my home this past Sunday. And uh, man, we really enjoyed that time. People gathering together to fellowship, to have coffee, to pray for one another, to watch the service and worship together. Uh, it even, you know, we've, we haven't been able to meet here in this building, but we can meet in our homes. And so there are watch parties that you can sign up for where there are watch parties where, where you can wear a mask and they don't require a mask. There are, are watch parties that are available for families and there are watch parties that are available that are pet friendly. And man, there are even watch parties that are yet to come because you're going to lead one. So man, sign up for a watch party today. Again, you can do that with the links that are being posted here, or you can just jump on our website underneath the grow group sections and find the watch parties and let us know, hey, I'd like to lead a group or I'd like to join a group and uh, you'll find all the information you need there. All right, everybody. Hey, listen, I love you so much. I'm praying for an incredible week for you. Praying that God's word takes root and hold in your heart today. I love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here uh, for our summer series next week. A few moments later. Tushy or your buns or your rump or your keister. I'm not talking about your badonkadonk. I'm not talking about your caboose, or your fanny, your bum, your backside, your bottom, your cheeks, your rear end, your hiney. I'm not talking about your round. <laughs>